Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? Hey, Chris. It's going good. I always love seeing that smiling face. <laughs> well, same here. So we have sort of an announcement this week, right? Yeah, so we actually have been getting a ton of questions um, when I'm at conferences and people have been emailing me and it's kind of an aside, but they're like, hey, by the way, is Lucas okay? (laughs) And so we kind of wanted to talk about it with everyone because as you guys know, Lucas has not been present on the podcast. Uh, He got a new job at Toby and he has been traveling the world, doing amazing things for them and has not had uh, a lot of opportunities to come record with us, but he is okay. He's healthy and happy. (laughs) Yeah, I've been getting a lot of those questions too when I do presentations and some emails and some correspondence on on different social media platforms. And so there seems to be this kind of lingering question. So I think that's a great way to address it, Rachel, is just the guy is super busy and he he was the one who really brought us all together and started this journey for us. So thank you so much, Lucas, for uh, for getting us started. Yeah, I'll like never forget the day that Lucas approached me and was like, hey, do you want to do an AAC podcast? And I was like, you're speaking my language. Yes. (laughs) So, and that was, a. I mean, at this point it was in November, it'll be two years that we've had this podcast. So it's just so cool to see how far we've come and how much it's grown. And it was just a, an idea that Lucas had. And now here we are. It's just super exciting. So I think this announcement is, is sort of a, a formalization or a formal way of saying that uh, this is sort of saying goodbye to Lucas as a, as a co-host. That's not to say that he wouldn't be back sometime. You might hear his voice on this podcast again. It's just you wouldn't be expecting him on a week-to-week basis. Yes, I know. And yeah, we definitely miss him and he's always welcome to come on. And especially for those, uh, those listener feedback questions, I feel like he's always such a, has such a great perspective. And so I would love for him to come join us for those episodes particularly. Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. He, uh, he adds this whole different dynamic and uh, depth to the conversation from his experiences. So love to have him come back whenever he can. Lucas, if you're listening, we love you. For now, it's just you get Rachel and Chris. Uh, each week we'll be here um, recording episodes and continuing carrying this torch forward. So Chris, you have a really great story that you want to tell. I do, you know, how each week, you know, something happens and then it's like, I can't wait to tell Rachel about this on the podcast. So here's my, I can't wait to tell Rachel story, right? So last week I went down to an autism program and I worked with robots. That's what I did, Rachel. Um, So I did robots to teach core vocabulary and the way we did it was super awesome. So I I, uh, contacted the instructional facilitator, so the general ed teacher there that uh, helps coach all the students and all all the teachers on how to infuse technology into their classrooms. And she had a bunch of these robots that you program using block coding with, um, with an iPad. And when I had met with that teacher, uh, she had said, you know, there's a student club that does this. Maybe you want to talk to these fifth graders, just general ed fifth graders. Uh, maybe they, they could help. And so I went and talked to that general ed fifth grade uh, teacher. And he said, yeah, I've got these four students that could help you do this. So I was like, this is great. I want these students to help. And when it actually turned out to happen is uh, three of the students were absent. So I only got one, this girl named Carly. 
It was fantastic. At 8.45, I pulled her out of her room. I sat with her and I actually showed her most of the students in this particular class were using Lamp Words for Life. So I'm sitting there showing Lamp Words to Life to this fifth grade student. And I said, see how there's words on here like go and turn and play. I said, we're going to go down to the kindergarten through second grade K2 autism program. And we're going to teach kids these words using this robot. Now, can you show me how to do that with the robot? And she's like, oh, sure. She comes over and she starts driving the robot and she starts pulling the blocks over and coding uh, the blocks to, to make the robot do this, follow this script, you know, follow the code to do what she's programmed it to do. And uh, so I said, now, how do you think that would work with the, with the kids? And she's like, well, Maybe if we put them like in a circle, we could put the robot in the circle and then they could each take turns um, saying the words like go and stop and under. And, and so that's exactly what we did. We, we went down to the K2 autism program. We had an occupational therapist there, the, the school speech therapist there, myself, and then this fifth grade student and the robot and of course the teacher. We pulled all the chairs into a big circle, moved the table out of the way, you know, so it was just all of us in kind of round, round robin. The kids sat in the chairs and we modeled for them on the iPads, go, stop, and Carly would drive the robot, sort of like a remote control car, doing what we said, you know, go, stop, dance, sing, play, whatever, whatever the words were. We, we would say it on the iPad and then she would do it and then we'd give it to the students and the students would do it. Uh, and it was awesome. I mean, by the end, uh, they were all t taking their turns. They had, we had them up. We, we had them all at one point standing, putting their hands on each other's shoulders, so kind of like in a line, and then we drove the robot under, 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 under each people, and it was just so great, right? It was so much um, energy in the, in the room at this time. It was just such a great experience, and, and I feel like one of the reasons I really like harp on this, and I wanted to bring this to the, to the classroom, was that I don't think anyone could argue that sometimes literacy is sort of a an afterthought for kids like like oh man yeah i guess we have to teach these kids to read too right just because they're aac users doesn't mean we don't teach reading we have to teach reading as a field i feel like we're catching up to that like we, we were sort of behind the, the uh where everyone else is when it comes to literacy and i feel like that same thing is happening with coding and computer science there's this whole movement to get kids coding now, just like reading and writing. Kids will be coding. You can picture a lot of kids that are going to, you know, going to elementary school now. By the time they leave high school, they will have learned how to code, just like they've learned how to read and write. And I don't want students with AAC to be left behind. I want them to be coding just like everybody else. And so I wanted to start infusing this into the classroom. And like I said, it was just a great experience all around, a great team effort. And we got the general ed student in there. Carly at the end was like, what can we do next time? When can I come back? And we started brainstorming how she could work one-on-one -on -one with each of the kids to actually get them doing the block coding. Right now, they were just using their voice to kind of command her what to do. Um, but let's get, let's get them making the block coding. So that was my awesome story, Rachel. And you can tell I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> I just love so many things about this story. One, I feel like utilizing technology that's super motivating, right? Like who's not motivated to watch a little robot, you know, dance and play and go under under you. Um, so that's so awesome. And I just love Carly. I love bringing in a general ed student. This is how we build 
acceptance. This is how we, we create a school and a community that really fosters a sense of, you know, acceptance with the special needs community. Um, I think a lot of times kids, they just don't have any interactions with children with special needs. And so they don't know what to do. And I think, you know, situations like this, not only, you know, show little, uh, show students like Carly, you know, it's, here's how, you know, this, this population communicates, they use these devices. And um, so it just, you know, kind of builds awareness and also just builds that acceptance piece. And um, it's just so great to see that. And it's, it's so many different things at play at, during the story. And I just, I love it. That's awesome. I would love to see a video of this, Chris. So something else that happened, Rachel, is we um, put markers down on the ground, just different colors. And we could be the same thing could work with blocks or anything else. But we had the kids like say which one they wanted knocked down, knock down, um, knock down the blue one, knock down the orange one. And it was super fun when they would knock it down and the kids would be like, oh, oh, oh it's getting close. Oh, they knock it down, you know, and there's great energy that, that happened. And then, like you said, with the general ed, I asked Carly about her club that she's in, and she says they do different challenges, right? She said, like, one of the challenges is they have a whole mat, and they have, um, they built, like, an octopus and a shark and, a, uh, I don't know, some sort of other predators that were under the water, and they had to pretend the robot was a, um, saving an egg from being eaten by the octopus and the shark and move, move it around, which is a fun little challenge activity to do with the robot, but it's totally fake, meaning it's not really an authentic challenge in any way. Like, once you're done, you're done. Where this challenge, what I asked Carly to do as far as how do we teach our friends in a different classroom that's authentic. That is something that's, a, that's something that, they, that really impacts other people and that is really going to help, like you said, the, the world, you know? Yeah, I love that. And honestly, I just like, it like warms my heart to, to think about situations that we can foster as clinicians. You know, it, it, what you did, Chris, it doesn't take a lot of effort right? Like, it's like you had an idea and you were like, hmm, like, who could I reach out to in the school to help me with this? And I'm sure Carly was really excited. She felt like she was doing something really great, helping you, helping the kids. And it sounds like she's really motivated to keep doing that. So if we can just do small acts like that once a week, just think about all of the profound impact that can make. Well, and that's another thing. These robots weren't anything that um, the speech therapist had to buy or that I had to buy. It was already in the school, uh, purchased and used by the instructional facilitators So, yeah, for technology. So it was just perfect. So now speaking of changing the world, there's a movement out there called the Open Source Movement or Open Educational Resources. Are you familiar with that or is that not really in the sphere of what you're working with, Rachel? I am not familiar with that, Chris. So please tell me, what, what's it all about? So here's the deal. So um, when you think of the word open, uh, the best way to describe it is the opposite, closed, right? Um, so when you and I went to school, we, and many, many people go to school, they get textbooks. And textbooks are copyrighted. A lot of material that we use is copyrighted. Uh, you, you're not allowed to use that material. You're not allowed to um, share it. Again, you're not allowed to make copies of it. You're not allowed to remix it and make it your own thing. It is sort of locked down. It's closed, right? 
The open movement is the idea that the educational resources should be something that you should be able to freely make copies of. You should be able to remix it and grow upon it, um, as opposed to uh, it being closed where you're not allowed to do that stuff. So there's a whole movement called the open educational resources movement. There's hashtags for it, go open, uh, the go open hashtag you can look up on Twitter and, and Instagram. And it's all these educators who are choosing materials and creating materials that are open source. You're allowed to use it, remix it, share it, and do whatever really you want with it. Um, and the reason that's so powerful uh, and why it's become a movement is how it sort of levels the playing field for, for everybody. Imagine you're a person that uh, just doesn't have the money to go to college right now right? You want to learn the content. You want to uh, have that experience of, of being educated. Um, you want to better yourself and provide more opportunities for you and your family or whatever, but you can't because it's behind a paywall, you know, and you have to earn money to go get or get loans and put yourself into uh, debt. And so the idea behind the open movement is that it's not behind a paywall. It's that it's freely accessible to anybody. You can go out and learn from that content uh, and, and anyone can learn those skills. And so that's kind of the concept behind the, the behind going open and open educational resources. And Brian Whitmer, who's our interview today, uh, who's also the CEO of CoughDrop, is going to talk all about his role in that movement in relation to AAC. Uh, he's going to talk about um, open symbols and kind of how developers can use this kind of open mindset to develop and use open source materials for AAC. Which brings up a point, Chris, that I didn't always know that I feel like is worth mentioning that, um, you know, part of the reason that these speech generating apps are so expensive is because these app developers have to license these, these icons. Think about it. They have thousands and thousands of icons in these devices. And so, you know, of course the young, the young Rachel was like, this is outrageous. Why is this so expensive? Um, you know, but that's why is because they have to license all those images, which is quite expensive sometimes. Um, so I, I love this idea and I just think it's a really important one to really move our field forward. It's so easy to share now, but we have things kind of still blocking that, um, the ability to share and maybe change. And I think you brought up a good point. Sometimes you want to take something and then you want to change it a little bit, right? You want to customize it. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of value in this idea, especially when it comes to education. You'll see a lot of things are licensed under the Creative Commons license. You'll see a little CC uh, in the corner of a blog, or it's posted on different websites or on different videos, which is informing the public of how you can use that material. Uh, you can use that license and say, oh, okay, it looks like this person is allowing me to redistribute this content, but I have to give attribution back to it. Or no, it's open source. You can use it freely for anybody and you don't have to give me credit. There's all sorts of layers there. All of that is over at creativecommons.org. So how, Chris, does this impact SLPs who are listening to the podcast who you know, maybe don't make materials, but um, how is this impacting them? Yeah, so this is a great question, and it's exactly what Brian and I chat about in our interview, is how people can actually use this, this idea of open symbols and open AAC to impact their practice. 
So if you guys haven't already, please do join our Facebook group. We have lots of amazing conversations going on in there. We also would love for you to write us a review on iTunes. I know that I love reading those reviews and I know Chris loves reading them too. Um, So if you haven't, you just go to the iTunes app and you can search Talking With Tech and you can leave us some comments on what you think about the podcast. One more thing before we roll into the interview with Brian Whitmer is that you and I will be presenting at AEC in the cloud, right? Which is Brian Whitmer is the one who kind of started AEC in the cloud. So it kind of fits perfectly there. What are we presenting on, Rachel? Oh, I'm really excited. So we're presenting on um, technology hacks that can help increase productivity and team collaboration when it comes to AAC. Um, One of my favorite topics to talk about. I love being efficient and efficiency. So we're going to teach you all the tricks we have up our sleeve on how to utilize Chrome extensions and specific websites and technology to increase productivity. Because we, we all know us SLPs, we don't have a lot of time. So how can we maximize our time, um, especially when we're thinking about collaborating with team, other team members and talking with parents about what's going on at school um, and in private practice. So uh, I'm really excited to present with you on that, Chris. That's at 5 p.m. Eastern time on June 25th, right? Yep. All right, so we'll see y'all there. Without further ado, here's your interview with Brian Whitmer. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and here today I'm with Brian Whitmer. How you doing, Brian? Hi, Chris. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to, great to see you. We, you and I have um, met each other a number of times at different conferences here and there. Um, so for the people that don't know you, who are you and what do you do? So, okay. So yeah, my name is Brian Whitmer, uh, and I'm the founder of CoughDrop, uh, which is a cross-platform open source AAC system that's been out on the market for about oh, five years. My background actually is in computer computer software development. So I started a company called, before this called Instructure. Uh, we built Canvas, which is a learning tool that's used in schools and universities around the country and around the world now. So I dove really deep into universal design for learning and some development best practices. Uh, and um, my oldest daughter, uh, who is now 12 years old, she has Rett syndrome. So she's nonverbal and she's needed a communication system. And so as I started to get into the world of AAC, I really felt like there was room for improvement uh, in the technology. There's things we could address differently. And I felt like my unique perspective could hopefully be able to help us all sort of raise the standard uh, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I had heard that rumor about you, about being one of the people behind uh, the Canva, which, is, like you said, is uh, widely used now in universities and many school districts, right, as their yeah. management system. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun project, uh, and I was there for uh, about six years. Uh, the company got big, and it was like, you know, I could have stayed around, but I wasn't 
having fun, <laughs> I guess you could say, you know, there's, there's, there's lots to do in a big company that isn't interesting. And I really felt like I could sort of jump into something new and, and make more of a difference. So your perspective is you have, you're, you're coming in from many different perspectives. You have the parent perspective, you have a developer perspective, and then you have the business owner perspective all, all together infusing and shaping the, the course of your choices and actions, right? Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit unique. It's funny because hardly anyone gets in the assistive technology space unless they know somebody that uses assistive technology, right? It's a niche market. Uh, and, and there's, there's a lot of opportunities for interesting things to happen. Um, but sometimes I think we miss out on some of the passion, uh, that's available in other spaces just because, uh, we don't have as many unique ideas or perspectives mulling around together. Well, speaking of unique ideas, um, what we're really going to talk about today is another thing that you're involved in, which is kind of the, the open source movement or uh, open materials, open AAC. For people, now we did uh, in the earlier segment, we talked a little bit about what open means. But from your perspective, what, is, what are open source materials or what's, what does being open mean? Yeah. So, you know, when I started to get involved uh, in the AAC space, I really felt like we had a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, there's some companies that are doing great stuff. Uh, but I came from the education sector where there are industry standards bodies, right, where people are saying, look, we need to be able to have interoperability so that people can move from one system to the other. We need to be able to have some standardization so that when, when people are switching to a new system, they don't have to, you know, learn everything from scratch. They can take stuff with them as they go. Uh, and when I came to the AAC space, none of that was here. Uh, and I really feel like there's, there's still is hardly anything there. And so, you know, I started OpenAAC as a way to say, look, we really need to be better about this. You know, open content is this idea that you take a material that someone has written and instead of saying, you know, I, I'm going to copyright this and anybody who wants to use it has to pay me money. And you say, we're going to release it with an open license, which then says anybody can use it. You know, you give a little credit where, to whoever the original author was, which seems pretty fair. Uh, but then anybody can use it. Uh, we can take it and we can port it from system to system. So part of that has been open content. Part of that has been actually open source, which is uh, the corollary in the software space, um, uh, which basically means you can take somebody's technology and you can use it. Uh, so we tried to create some open standards around interoperability just to make it so that we can play nice together uh, and hopefully have some better innovations uh, come out as a result. Okay, cool. So the idea is that anyone can use the, the open source format or not just open source, but um, when they create something, they can license their material in a way that is open that allows other people to access it, change it, remix it, redistribute it. Yeah. So let's say, for example, that you, you, know, you bought an AAC system. I'm, we're not going to name the names because that's not the important part. Uh, but let's say you bought one and, and you, know, you personalized it. So you put in your own pictures and you set up the vocabulary in a way that works for the communicator that you're working with. And then that company goes out of business or you need a feature that they don't have and these other, this other company has it. Right now, the only thing you can do is say, all right, well, I'll just go by hand. I'll go manually and look at, on, in this app and look in this app and I'll kind of manually copy and paste everything over. If we had an open standard for uh, file formats, like we created what's called the open board format and everyone supported it, then you could just hit export in the one system and then hit import in the other and you would have everything that you had put together. It gives the control back to the user because what happens a lot of times when you talk to companies from a business perspective, they say that makes no sense um, because 
I want people to be stuck in my system. You know, I make more money if people stay with me. And so if I can keep them stuck, uh, then, then they're not going to leave and they'll keep paying me money. Uh, and instead, if you can say, let's do something interoperable, then it's better for the consumer. And it actually ends up being better for the business too, because people like you better. <laughs> you know, when you look at somebody and say, I'm only here because you make me be here, that's not a healthy relationship. But business people tend to forget uh, sometimes about, you know, advocating for the consumer or for that end user. So that's what we're trying to remind them about. Brian, that sounds, so just to, uh, to make an analogy there, is like once upon a time I made a decision to use Apple products, right, for my own. That's the way I have an Apple phone, right? Um, yeah. Sort of a closed environment, like you can't, bring, you know, and I'm sort of trapped into it. I feel like I'm trapped into it. If I wanted to choose something else, like what, all my stuff is here. Um, right. That's the, the corollary to what you're saying is if a, an AAC company says, we have this, our format, and you get used to this format, then you will be a user for life. By without making choices, you're just sort of trapped into it. Right. And then what happens, you know, when that company eventually, you know, 10 years from now, they say, oh, we're not going to support this product anymore. Then you have these people who are scrambling that, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh, do they may have a license. They may have a piece of hardware that's not broken because this is the only thing that works for me. Uh, and this is where I have built all of my stuff. Uh, and we just, we end up leaving people behind on these old outdated systems because they're just stuck. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the open board format is a file format. So a, an analogy we like would be like a, a word document or a PDF file, right? Exactly. PDF is meant to be sort of more universally accessible. And so is a open board format. It would just be something that is uh, industry wide. People could say, we support the open board format so you could change things in and out. Exactly. And that, that way we have a little bit more freedom and we give control back to the, the user. So is there some sort of code like that you put in a GitHub? I mean, so GitHub is a place for people that don't know where you can share code, right? Am I thinking of that right? I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. So we I have, know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have code libraries that, that developers can use. Uh, and the whole file format's all written down. It's all documented. So somebody can go and they can build. And in fact, we have... Um, we have some of the newer players in this space actually are starting out with supporting the open board format. Uh, we have a partnership with UNICEF and they've been sponsoring a bunch of international AAC projects. And they've said, this is going to be a prerequisite for our projects is that they support an interoperability format like open board format. Uh, so it's really promising uh, and sort of all the new stuff is taking advantage of it. We just have to convince all the, you know, the old stuff uh, to hop on board as well up on board. Yeah. And so if I was a, a parent, a potential consumer, my immediate thought isn't necessarily 10 years down the line, right? I'm thinking, what does my person need now? Although as much as we advocate, we should be thinking long-term. Sure. So the thought is, what does someone need right now? But a, a question that you might have, we, we want to encourage people to ask is, let's think about 10 years from now. So a, a question you would bring to the table when you're considering, when you're considering a communication device might be, what is the file format on the back end? I mean, is it open? Can I change if, if something needs to change? That would be something we need to advocate for, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. If we had more people even just saying, you know, have you heard of the open board format? You know, I'm worried 
you know, there, I mean, there's been, you know, there's been news in the AEC space lately about products being end of life and people have had this concern and it's happened before. And every time it happens, everybody kind of freaks out and scrambles to see what they can do about it. Uh, but if we could be more proactive, like you said, and when we talk to our salespeople, or our reps, and we say, have you heard of the open board format? You guys really need to look at the open board format um, so that you don't hose me next time something happens. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think about the number of places that are using iPads, for instance, right? And uh, I remember talking, I think maybe you were there. I mean, I, I think that's when we first met was one of the um, ed camps at ATIA. And uh, Bill Binko, who I know you know, uh, he said, you know, if, what if someone gets trapped into this communication system and they can't change, you know? And so when people uh, adopt wide scale solutions, like, like an iPad, right? An iPad is probably one of the most prevalent pieces of hardware that people use for AAC. What if Apple decided to suddenly stop making iPads, right? Uh, yeah. What if they said, that's, yeah, it's not viable for us anymore. How many people would be scrambling for something? But if they had an open board format, Whatever tool they would be using next, possibly, if it supported an open board format, you could just port your stuff open over to that hardware. Exactly. And there may be, you know, there may be some things that don't come over because, you know, companies are like, oh, this part's proprietary and we want to protect our intellectual property. Uh, and we've thought through a lot of that and we're working with people to make sure that we can support their needs because we want them to support it in whatever form we can get. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, most of these vocabulary sets, people are building and, 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 and personalizing on their own, and we need to recognize that. So there's the open board format, and then and you said there's places where people can go, developers can go to, to look at that code. But for the general kind of lay person, what is openaac.org? Is that like, yeah. what about that website? Yeah, so if you go to openaac.org, you'll see that there's a list of, we call them goals, but it's more of a manifesto. It is, it's, it's a list of things that we think should be the case uh, in the AAC industry. And so we say things like, you know, you should be able to import and export your vocabulary set freely. Um, you should be able to have access to a robust library of symbols that don't require you to pay, you know, a subscription. We should have some free library of pictures that people can use. Um, you should have free learning resources. So when you're getting started and you're like, you know, what is modeling, you know, or what is, uh, you know, what, what are some good examples of data that I would want to track or, or follow? Um, having some learning resources to help you with that. We should have these free resources that everyone can use that are sort of, you know, platform agnostic, uh, but are available for everybody. So you can see the whole manifesto there. A couple of them are really kind of technical. Um, for example, we talk about open integrations um, and, you know, that's the idea there is you, we, need to, we need to be better about working with the, the general technology industry. Uh, we tend to get a little siloed off. Uh, but, but yeah, that's basically what you can see there on the website is this manifesto. Um, if you want to get involved, the best way to do so, you know, if you're, if you're a technical person or a designer or someone that actually wants to participate, we have a chat room where people can hop on and talk to us. Um, and, but if you're part of the general population, the best thing you can do is talk to your vendor and say, you really need to check this out because the more they hear people talk about it, uh, the more likely they will be to say, maybe this is actually something I need to pay attention to. Sure, and I would I would say that would um, it's even more pertinent when uh, you are uh, thinking of purchasing the next thing, right? Yeah. Or purchasing the first thing, right? When there's uh, money on the table, yes, more willing to go. Oh, yeah, okay, this is where if they've already have your money, mm, yeah, it'd be nice if I did that, but it, it, that can go a little bit lower on the on the development cycle. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's easy to get cynical about companies, you know, and say, oh, they're just in it for the money. They don't even care unless they have money on the table. But at the end of the day, they're driven by uh, that business pressure. And a lot of times people take investors and they have to respect what those investors are expecting of them. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not the kind of person who says, look, everything should be free uh, and we'll all just feel good about it. I think there's money to be made. And honestly, that's how it stays sustainable. There are products that pop up and they say, oh, we'll be free. And then a year later, they are gone because there was no way for them to sustain themselves. Uh, and so, you know, when we, when we talk about some of these standards, we're trying to be very careful to not say everything should be free, period, end of story. But to say these are the things that are being respectful of the communicator. Because at the end of the day, people who use AAC have a lot of conflict. There are lots of things that are fighting against their uh, ability to succeed. And if we can draw a baseline on somewhere uh, and say, these are the pieces that we need to make sure that we have in place, you know, full stop, uh, then yeah, when we come to the bargaining table and we say, yeah, I'm going to give you my money or my insurance company is going to pay you, you know, this, these gobs of money, but I'm not going to do it unless you respect me or my communicator as an individual who has these rights. You know, it's, it's not that different. We talked before about, you know, we, we've talked some, Chris, about the sort of baseline requirements for, for good AAC. I can't remember what, what you guys call that. Uh, but. AAC agreements. Yeah, the agreements, exactly. And there's an AAC Bill of Rights too, you know, and these are all sort of in the same vein. Uh, this, the open AAC is a little bit more technical and we're trying to build an organization around it to sort of advocate for these things. And so that's, that's how this all came about. But at the end of the day, we're all saying the same thing, which is AAC communicators deserve respect. You know, we're not going to prey on them from a financial perspective. We're going to support them. And when we do, they will be happy and they will pay money uh, in order to have a successful experience. Yes, which sounds like every other company. <laughs> like, we want to make our customers happy. We want to make everyone have a good experience. And if they have a good experience, they'll come back for more. And they'll come back to, to us for more. Right. So let me ask about the website in particular. There's the communication workshop area. What's that about? Is that a resource that teachers and, and, and uh, speech therapists and parents can go to? What, what is that? What's there? Yeah, so that's a super fun project that we've been working on. So there's the core classroom or the AAC language lab. These are some other websites that have been around for a while. Um, and the basic idea is to say, you know, when we're working with the communicator, we want to help support them. And one of the ways we can do that is to introduce words to them that, and show them how they can use them so they can expand their vocabulary, right? So we don't just say, hey, look, here's a bunch of words. Pick what you want, and I'm sure you'll figure it out eventually. You know, right. But if we, if we can be a little more strategic and say, you know, this week or these next two weeks, we're going to focus on the word um, smell. That's what we were working on with my daughter the last couple of weeks because it's, you know, springtime and there's lots of things to smell and uh, we can do lots of things with that word. But when you say that and you say, all right, we're going to introduce this new word and focus on it. A lot of people, you say, okay, how can we use this word? And you just blank, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I smell bad. Right? Like that, that's about all you get. Uh, <laughs> and so... So the communication workshop is this repository of ideas, right? So it will list, you know, here's some examples of sentences that use the word. Uh, here's some examples of some activities uh, where you can use the word. Here's some YouTube videos where you could, you know, you'll get the opportunity to make observations about smell or work or, you know, play or go, whatever it is the thing that you're working on. Uh, and we've tried to set it up 
you know, it's, it's all open material, open content, like we've been talking about. Uh, and the, it's all built around the community. So we actually have speech pathologists from around the country who go in and say, well, here's an idea I had for want, you know, and they'll stick it in. Or here's a video I use for now, right? And so the, the repository kind of grows over time as everyone contributes to it. Uh, but then it's just a great place to be able to pull in ideas. There's books that you can read online. There's open-ended questions just with big picture prompts uh, so you can start to just you know, get the creative juices flowing. Uh, and all of that is it's all printable so you can make a PDF and stick it in somebody's backpack and send it home with them for the day just to try to help everybody have a baseline of more than just you know what pops into my head right now. Gotcha. So, Brian, the people that are contributing the, the content there right now, is that open? Is it like crowdsourced? Anyone can put information there or is it, well, we have like a handful of people that put stuff there when they have time. Oh no, it's, it's open to anybody. You go log, you have to make a login. Um, but then, yeah, you submit your stuff and it's moderated. So we check and make sure you didn't do anything weird. Uh, <laughs> and then I mean, nobody does. Right. And so then we approve it and, and stick it in and then everyone has access to it. Uh, so it's been really fun to see that start to grow. Uh, we're about, we, we have about half the words implemented that I wanted. Um, uh, so we have some more work to do, uh, but we've tried to sort of be strategic about it, right? So some of the activities are very basic. You know, if you said stop and go, we're going to have very basic games like red light, green light, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then some of it's more advanced too, because sometimes you're introducing AAC to an individual who is farther along on the, on, you know, the intellectual development timeline. Uh, and so we'll have some STEM-based activities too, right? So you can talk about like how fast the, these cars will go versus these cars, you know, or which animals go faster or which ones go to the forest versus the desert, right? So, so it's more than just these really basic activities. We're trying to take it a step above that as well. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, I, I can't wait to go. Like I have so many ideas now that I want to go and plug in there, you know, <laughs> Is there like a template or something that you would fill out once you create an account. Yeah. So, so what it does, um, you go in and, and, um, and it sort of helps you through the whole process, right? So you say, I want to make some suggestions for this word. And then it'll pop up this interface and you find the spots that you think are interesting, whether it's videos or books, and you paste in your links or you paste in your ideas and it'll help suggest pictures that you can use and things like that. So it kind of walks you through the whole process. Let me ask you this. So uh, sort of this is a, a thing of mine is that in the outside of AAC, uh, just in the world of education, there's this movement called uh, project-based learning. Where you have this, it starts with an authentic, the, the lesson or experience that you're designing for kids is, um, starts with this authentic problem, right? Like all the bees are dying. What are we going to do to save the bees? Or our, our street has all these potholes. What are we going to do to fix the potholes? Or People are dying of heart attacks. How can we raise awareness for, of, of better health? You know, whatever the problem might be, you start with a problem that kids care about and then they start to work on it. And I feel like this could be a thing, right? Like, okay, we have our friends that are, okay, fifth graders, we have friends down in the preschool classroom that, are, that need communication devices and they need to learn these, uh, these words. Is this something where they could, maybe through their teacher, the students create materials that then they share with their friends, you know, or share with the world, really? Yeah, no, actually, that would be really awesome. Um, I have, you know, there's, there's sort of what's there now and then my grand scheme, which, you know, I think always happens for uh, when you have projects. Um, but 
yeah, like my ideal is to get to the point where we have, you know, sort of this live feed on the main page of communication workshop of like, you know, current events or things that are going on that people would find interesting. Uh, and so we can keep it always relevant, uh, right. To what's, what's currently going on. But in the meantime, yeah, some of those, some of those ideas, that would be great for a project based team to work on, whether it was in elementary school or high school, uh, or at the college level, I think there could be some really great contributions that get put in and we would love to have some of that going on. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So that's a call to action to people who are listening right now. They can, they can share this with other educators or do it. The speech therapist can do it with other students to, to make materials that benefit the world in that way. Yeah. It's on the website. You go to openaac.org and you'll see the link for communication workshop. Uh, and then yeah, jump right in. And we'll definitely have that on our show notes as well. So people can click right on it. There's another part there that says AAC shim. What's, what's AAC shim? Yeah. Okay. So this is a little bit more technical. I got to take a step back. So my daughter uses AAC. Uh, she doesn't have motor control. Uh, she uses eye gaze, uh, which means that in order for her to hit anything on the screen, she needs a, a special camera attached to the computer. And if she looks at anything for a period of time, then the screen will activate it for her. And so she has to have software that is specifically built to support eye gaze. There are, you know, if you, if you have someone that has better control, they can actually use win, just regular windows and mouse cursor and things with eye gaze. Her body won't let her get to that point. Um, just there's too many limitations. And so her only mode of access to technology is through AAC system. And so what we've tried to say is, you know, we, we use AAC primarily for communication, right? So I hit buttons and the device speaks uh, and, and that's how I can communicate with the people around me. Um, but for someone who is going to use this as their primary technology modality, we need better support for other tools as well. And some of that could be communication. You know, say, for example, I go to the movie theater and I want to order tickets. I'm not going to have uh, the latest movies. I'm not going to have Aquaman or Lego Movie 2 in my vocabulary set, right? right. So I could spell all those out and take a long time doing it if I want to order tickets. But if I had something that could launch from inside of my AAC system that just pulled up the show times, uh, you know, so I could just say, I want to go see this show, hit the button and I order my tickets right there. That's significantly easier and significantly more accessible for AAC users. So AAC Shim is basically an interoperability specification so that we can launch third-party tools inside of the system. Let's say, for example, you know you wanted to use Facebook, and you can't use the Facebook app because you use eye gaze or maybe you use scanning with a switch, so you have to scan through your options. Facebook is not going to work. Like going to the website is just not going to work. So if we could create, you know, sort of a, a middle ground interface, uh, then we could support you in accessing Facebook and liking things and commenting on things and supporting you in that, in that regard. Um, but all of that right now has to be built into the AAC system, right? So it's up to the developer of AAC to build every single integration. They have to build something for Twitter. They have to build something for Instagram. They have to build something for WhatsApp, whatever it is. But if we can create a standard to say somebody else can build this and then it will tie into any of these systems, whether it's CoughDrop or Proloquo to go or the grid, you know, and any of them can launch this and all that person has to do is say, here's where my buttons are. And then it will work with a scanning based switch access. It'll work for eye trackers. It'll work for whoever. We will be significantly more likely to get these integrations or these partnerships that actually work long term, you know, 
I've talked to plenty of people who have said, yeah, you know, I, I, we, built a, we built a Facebook integration for our app and it stopped working two years later, right? <laughs> because Facebook changed something because they're not paying attention. They're not going to pay attention to disability space because it's so small and it's so niche. But if we can do these things that sort of raise the profile, uh, then we'll have a better chance of being able to be around longer and, and stay functional. Yes, and you, uh, as, the, as the developer, would not have to stay on top of all of the integrations that you're trying to build, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, they could, they could even, you know, everybody could pay some third-party developer to maintain some of these. It just gives you more flexibility uh, in how you set it up instead of having to be every single company needs to build every single integration in their own way and maintain it over time. Cool. All right, so, Brian, um, maybe one last thing here is to talk about AEC in the cloud, right? That's uh, something else you sort of helped develop or developed, right, that you're a a large part of. Tell us about how it all came about and what's happening here. Yeah. Okay. So AAC in the cloud is an online conference. It's a free online conference specifically targeted around AAC. And basically what happened uh, is, you know, I started going to some of these national conferences like ATIA and Closing the Gap. And it's like, there's so much good information here, right? We are learning so much uh, and just growing from the people who can come. And then I found out about these, you know, these local conferences. There's AAC in the desert and there's AAC in the mountains, right? And, and if you can make it to any of these conferences, you can significantly grow in your ability to know about AAC and understand what the best practices are and where things are going and what the future looks like. But the number of people that can go is so limited. It's Mm -hmm. all physical. It's all, you know, person to person, which is great and valuable. Uh, But we said, what can we do to get everybody else? Right. Because there's a whole country and there's a whole world out there of people that can't make it to any of those conferences. And when you talk to people about AAC, the level of expertise, it's all over the place, right? Uh, absolutely. You get a speech pathologist, you know, they're like, oh, here's your speech pathologist that's going to work with your AAC system. And some of them, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. And they know exactly what to do and they've done it 30 times. And some of them are like, you know what? I usually just do swallowing. Uh, so let me go Google AAC and see what I'm supposed to do here. Yep, 100%. Right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, so it's really hard. And as a, as, a, as a parent, you know, when I first got involved in this, I went online and did the Google searches and said, you know, what can I learn and how can I figure this out? And there were like two websites that I felt like were useful uh, mm-hmm. for me in learning and, and getting a, a, my feet underneath me to support my daughter. So we said, let's try to fix that. So we created an online conference. We run it every summer. It's all fully online. It's all free. Basically, it's a bunch of YouTube live uh, sessions, but we bring them all together on this website and we have a chat room so people can kind of be connected uh, and, and make it a little more cohesive. But then we leave those videos up all year long and you know for the rest of forever. So then what happens is people link to those, they pull the ones that are valuable, and this, this library of resources just continues to grow over time. So that's been a blast. We love doing it, uh, and it's been really fun to see it start to, start to grow. Yeah, in fact, I think Rachel and I are presenting this year. It, uh, it sounds really familiar to the podcast, actually. You know, yeah. idea like, okay, how can we get this information out in a different modality to people that otherwise couldn't make it to these conferences or other, otherwise can't get the information, you know? And, and so I think our missions are aligned there, right? Oh yeah, no, it's great. And, and I love what you guys do, what you've done. Uh, and, and like you said, they're, they're very much aligned. It's fun to have this conference where we sort of get people together and, you know, we all kind of dive into it for a couple of days off. 
all at the same time. But then, yeah, spreading those things out throughout the years has also been really great and valuable just for helping people. There's so much more than there was five years ago, right? And I'm really glad. <laughs> well, that, that's, Brian, I say that all the time. If I was going to be somebody that uh, had a disability, it's today is the day, right? I, yeah. And tomorrow would even be better because it's spreading. There's so much more knowledge. And there was, like you said, a handful of years ago when you were starting to look at your two websites. And now how many blogs are there? How many Facebook groups are there? How many Twitter chats are there? Podcasts, you know, conferences, face-to-face and virtual, you know, there's lots of opportunities to learn. Yeah. So this last year, last year with AAC in the cloud, um, the word got out to, there was a, um, an adults uh, with autism community that found out about it. Uh, and a lot of them that use AAC hopped onto the conference, which was awesome. Uh, right. Because, you know, they're there and they're like, Oh, this is going to help me personally. I'm doing this all on my own. Right. There are a lot of individuals, uh, adult communicators who are like, yeah, I found an AAC system. I do it all by myself. Right. And so being able to have this conference where they can jump in and find some strategies to help themselves, that's been super fulfilling to see. Well, that and them sharing what works for them back to the clinicians. So yeah. the clinicians can go, oh, well, maybe that approach that I was thinking of, maybe that's not the right approach because I'm hearing from people who are actual users that I should be doing it this way or this is what works for them, you know, or it changes their mindset of how they should be thinking about it. So yeah, definitely feed each other, you know? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So uh, Brian, let me ask uh, kind of one final question here is what are you striving to think about now with, uh, with AAC? Like, what are you curious about or what's got you, your mind percolating? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I've spent a lot of time on cough drop and how can we make the cough drop app specifically better? Um, but the one, the one that I've been chewing on lately, uh, that's more general or more broad, uh, is this idea, you know, when you look at research in the AAC space, you know, you look at studies, you know, and they'll say, Oh, well, we, you know, we found that aided language simulation is valuable in this setting, or we found that, you know, having, 40 buttons versus 20 buttons was more effective. You know, we, we, there's all these studies and things that get published. And you go look at the studies and the data sets are always like, well, we watched three communicators, right? Or we talked to five individuals or we interviewed 20 people. You know, the, the, the sample size is so small uh, that it's really hard to get confident. Um, and, you know, to be fair, in the disability space, every single person is so different. And so sometimes it's hard to generalize anyway. But one of the things that I've been working on with OpenAAC is actually an, an open logging format. So when people are using their system, you could have apps that, that do data tracking, which there are some that do, uh, and build reports. But if you had the option to be able to export that out, um, one of the things that we're doing with this logging format is we're actually having an, an anonymization spec um, that's part of it. So you could export out all of your data in an anonymous way that's still valuable for researchers. Because what we want to do is we want to collect a large data set where we say we have 5,000 communicators, right, that have been using their systems for two years. So now all of a sudden we can actually be confident that what we're saying is valuable. So when we ask questions like, you know, what are the most common words that AAC users use or what's a typical sentence length uh, or, you know, what's a development, what does a development look like over a one year cycle? What can we actually expect as far as growth and progression? And we can do research that is more than just, yeah, we looked at these five people or we talked to this one school uh, and try to generalize some of it. I think that's going to be really fun. uh, and, And we're very hopeful that we can start to move some some of that process along. 
we've talked to a couple people, obviously we supported a cough drop and we've talked to a couple of researchers that are going to start digging into it uh, just with the data that we have, but we want to push to get beyond just one system. And I think it's going to be fun. The idea of big data uh, really excites me and where it could go and how it could um how it can impact the world of AAC. So let, let me just dig into that just for a second. Is that part of the open board format or would that be a separate thing? Meaning, because like right now, we have all these different companies that do have ways of collecting that data, uh, not for the user to, to explore, you know what I mean? Or for maybe to, to give that data to a clinician with permission, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not being shared, like you said, in an anonymous way um, outside of that. And even if it was, it would still be proprietary, right? It's like this company has this set of data and this other company has this set of data. And you'd really want it to be, you said, open, where all of the data feeds to one place so we can get a, a more global view of how it works for everybody. Is that? Yeah. Exactly. So right now we're, we're combining it with the open board format because that's the place that it makes the most sense for it to live, especially while it's, you know, sort of growing or developing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's huge potential once we can get multiple people participating, multiple uh, products participating to say, you know, do our theories generalize across applications, you know? So is this true in TouchChat and Saltillo and, you know, Toby? Or is this something that we just found in Toby because that's where the research was done, you know? Right, right, right. I also see, I mean, some of the outcomes of big data are, uh, have benefits to the entire world, right? I mean, Google scanning in all these books and then be able to do predictive text as allows us to do as, as we do a Google search and, and collecting all the searches that anyone has ever done ever allows you to have the predictions across. Yeah. The, right. I mean, that's how yeah. in a very rudimentary way. And so I wonder what the implications would be is if we could collect so much data about how people are using AAC, could that inform back to the uh, user themselves? Meaning could you imagine like sentence prediction, you know, yeah, sort of we actually there there there's an organization that's working on this right now. They're trying to build an artificial intelligence model for AAC users, you know, to predict what they need to say next and, and make it a little bit easier. But they don't have the data, right? I mean, they have a little bit of data, and they're going to work with what they've got. But at the end of the day, we need to get them more information uh, so that they can actually be effective. Yes, yes, that is super exciting to me. If you can't hear it in my voice, like, <laughs> the ideas there that uh, the, what that, but it would need a collaborative effort, and that's what I'm hearing you say. Is, and that tying it back to the open board format, if everyone did this, or as many companies as they did did this, it benefits everybody, and it becomes a a, a selling point for everybody. You know, exactly. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. We just have to get them on board in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to share here on Talking With Tech. Any last thoughts or, or comments? Uh, no, this has been great. You know, I, I love being able to share the things I'm passionate about. Hopefully that you may be able to see, you know, this, these are things I feel really strongly about. I think that, you know, AAC communicators have, like I said before, they have a lot of things um, fighting against their success. And the more we can give them opportunities to succeed and the more we can advocate with them, uh, to be able to be more autonomous and to be a more self self advocating and to be more you know have have more flexibility and freedom, the more we'll see them show up in the world uh, in ways that will surprise us.
And that's what I'm most excited for. You know, I look at my daughter's future, like you said, 10 years ago, you know, if, if, if we were 10 years ago, I would look at her future and say, I, you know, I know what's going to happen. I know what she's going to be able to do. I know what her life's going to be like. And you know, she's going to be at home, you know, and, and we're going to, she's going to have a couple people around her that care about her. But I look at it now and I see, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to end up and I don't know what the level of potential is because there's so much that we can do. So I'm really excited and I want to help make this happen. Exactly what we've been screaming from the rooftops, right? Is don't limit people's potential. Yeah. And that you just said it so eloquently. So well said, Brian. Uh, so thank you for talking with tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.